0: You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. It is the Martha Zoller Show, and joining me right now is Attorney General Chris Carr, um, who was on site on Wednesday at uh, the Police Training Center site, but also as Attorney General, understands kind of the ins and outs of these this terminology we're using, domestic terrorists, that kind of thing. So, Chris Carr, welcome so much. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Marza, great to be with you. Good morning.
0: You know, my major issue with this whole thing is, first, it's a lot of people coming in from out of state. Second, duly elected members of the Atlanta City Council voted this in. There's been an election since they voted it in. And, you know, this is an interference with what duly elected members of our society are doing. And. It can't be tolerated. Can you give us an update on kind of where you are on this and then just any insights you've got? Because people are confused and a little concerned.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Martha, this has gone on long enough. This has gone on way too long. You know, this is a training center. Again, one of the things that we've all agreed... We need more training for law enforcement. So the Atlanta Police Foundation got together with the community, has come up with the funds to put together a training center, which, by the way, right now officers in Atlanta are training at a old elementary school that leaks when it rains. You can't drink the water from the water fountain. So this is going to be state-of-the-art. This isn't just about making sure that officers are safe and better trained, which we want, and people have been calling for for a couple of years, but it also means the community will be safer. But here we've got a group that has, for over a year, illegally been sitting on this property, uh, that is trying to stop, as you mentioned, the process of, of ensuring that the community and law enforcement officers are safe, and it's gone on long enough. And so we had an operation, as you mentioned, I was out there at the site, I was in the command center, we had an operation to make sure that we were gonna uh, legally and properly uh, re- you know, remove the individuals from the site so that the building can continue and then we had what we had Where an individual shot, a trooper who, uh, again, our thoughts and prayers are still with his family, with him uh, as he heals. Uh, But, again, it didn't have to happen. shouldn't have happened. Uh, And this has gone on long enough. And our office has taken the lead. We are the ones uh, that are the lead prosecutors. We're working with the DeKalb DA's office. uh, But we're going to make sure that all those that have violated the law and are are coming to our state to commit violent crimes are held accountable.
0: There's been some pushback about using the term domestic terrorist or that kind of thing. Um, Explain that and the use of that terminology.
1: Sure, That's it. the legislature passed uh, legislation not too long ago that provided our office with jurisdiction over domestic terrorism. It's a legal term we look forward to, and I'm not going to litigate no. uh, in the public because we've got to go to court. We'll be able to do that. But I am confident that the facts will show that these individuals have engaged in domestic terrorism. It provides for a serious... Um, Uh, punishment and and for a uh, longer term, if convicted. Uh, But again, I mean, Martha, this isn't Oregon. We're not Washington. We're not New York or California. Uh, If you come here, if you commit violent acts against our citizens, against law enforcement officers, we're going to hold you accountable. And I am proud that our office is taking the lead because, uh, uh, you know, again, I I will defend anyone's right. I firmly believe in the First Amendment. And peaceful protest, I will defend it. But protesters use words. Rioters use uh, AR-15s and handguns and throw Molotov cocktails at construction workers and firefighters and they use explosives and knives. That's not peaceful protest. That's not protected by the 1st Amendment. That's a crime.
0: Well, our and we're
1: going to uh, hold those accountable that are, are engaging in violent crimes.
0: Well, when I worked for Senator Purdue for the first 4 years that I worked for him, our office was at 191 Peachtree that is where right. a lot of that violence happened on Saturday night. I was very right. familiar your, when those pictures were being shown about that. And it it makes citizens think, I'm going to the airport on Thursday. I've got a trip I'm taking. And I'm thinking to myself, is it going to be safe for me to take the train as I usually do? Or is this still going to be going on? And I know that's not rational thinking, Chris. Okay. But it's, it's gotten to the point where... Normal people like me are thinking that way.
1: Well, in, uh, understandable. I'm, I'm gonna. I want to commend though the Chief Shearbaum and the Chief of Police in Atlanta and the Police Department, Atlanta Police Department, who uh, on Saturday night quickly came and contained that uh, situation, along with uh, state law enforcement partners. Mayor Dickens Same has thing. been
0: great, also.
1: Well, and, and and I do absolutely, and the support that we've we've now gotten. Again, the state has was going over to the site where the training center will be at the request of local law enforcement to to make sure that we could provide support. I'm proud of of what we've done there. But, but again, this isn't who we are. This may happen in Oregon and Washington, and that may be from a policy perspective what they want, but not us. Not us. And as you mentioned, you know, all but two of the individuals have been from out of state—Pennsylvania, and Maine, and California, and Washington, Nevada, Michigan—you name it. Only two of the individuals have been from the state, and so it's clear there's a well-organized national network. We're aware of it, um, but you can't come here and do it. You're going to be held accountable. We will again—you will be charged. Uh, We will find you, we will charge you, and and we will make sure that you're held accountable, plain and simple.
0: So it says that three of the protesters were cooperating and so they were let go um, in the reporting that I've read. Uh, Are those folks cooperating and helping you all, maybe not you, but law enforcement with their cases?
1: Well, I don't want to get into the specifics of who may or may not be, but I will say this, though, Martha, which I think is critically important. One of the individuals arrested Saturday night was arrested a month ago by us. He was this individual was granted bond. We opposed bond and he and was rearrested Saturday night. That's an issue. That's a problem. And uh, it's unacceptable. But it goes back to a larger conversation I know that folks have had. I've heard from folks you've heard from folks as far as bond and and that sort of thing. and you know and where we need to go, and I know there's conversations in the legislature, but I think it's important to note. One of the individuals arrested Saturday night had been arrested before and, and was out on bond.
0: So, what are the next steps for your office?
1: So again, we're taking the lead on this uh, case. Uh, uh, we've got a great uh, group. We've been working with federal, state, or excuse yeah, with federal, state, local partners. Uh, we will be prosecuting individuals that have been arrested and as it relates to this issue and relates to uh, uh, those that were criminal trespassing. Uh, criminally trespassing on the property, those that have engaged in violence. And you're going to hear more from our office uh, uh, in the coming days and weeks.
0: Well, and hopefully this construction company understands that we want them to continue with this because I've toured the facility that's in South Georgia, Fletsy, that's m- mostly, and you probably have too, that are mostly for federal Law enforcement, Absolutely. but this is going to give us the opportunity here. And I'm sure in the long run, even North Georgia police and others can use, will be able to use this facility. Uh, and it's going to be something that's going to allow our law enforcement to be properly chain trained and also to have some kind of hands on training that is so much better than just reading a book or, or hearing about it.
1: Absolutely. And again, it's not, it is critically important that law enforcement remain safe and are well trained. But that also leads to, uh, you know, a, a safer community, which I think, again, is critically important. But here's the other thing, Martha. If this is allowed to stand, today it may be Georgia. Today it may be a, a law enforcement training center. But it could be the playbook for an economic development project that somebody likes or a, an individual that somebody disagrees with. Again, the laws are are meant to be uh, upheld. And, again, if you're peacefully protesting at the courthouse steps, you're holding signs, you're disagreeing with your government, that's fine. That's protected by the First Amendment. But what's going on here when you're throwing rocks through businesses that have supported the training center, when you are throwing Molotov cocktails at individuals that are construction workers or firefighters, absolutely not, cannot be allowed to stand. Because if these companies were to, to pull out and decide not to, um, uh, continue this project, which is what the individuals apparently want to have happen, that can have some serious ramifications for other issues, for other projects, not just in this state, but around the nation.
0: You know, the best example, I think, it was also in Georgia, of peaceful protest. If you remember after the Ahmad Arbery murder, um, for months and months, on a daily basis, there were peaceful prayer protests at the courthouse in Brunswick. And these folks got together to protest and want justice but they did it peacefully day after day after day and they had an impact on what ultimately happened
1: absolutely and the brunswick and glenn county community deserves just enormous credit uh for how they handled the, the situation which was just awful but here again just with this situation down at little five on friday night people were peacefully protesting they may have been you know saying some things that i disagreed with they may have been you know critical of law enforcement but they were peacefully protesting nobody was arresting folks there again that is the cornerstone and uh, the fundamental first amendment right that we all have as americans which i think is critically important and needs to be protected even when i disagree with somebody But not what happened Saturday night, not shooting at police officers, not continuing to to trespass on private property and to cause damage to to machinery, to uh, threaten individuals, can't be allowed to stand.
0: Chris Carr, Attorney General Georgia, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Martha, always good to be with you. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9, WDUN.
0: Steve Moore is here with me uh, from Unleash Prosperity and uh, looking forward to talking with him. You know, Steve, here we are in this debt ceiling negotiation. And it just seems to me, and I know that the president said he's not going to negotiate, but it seems to me if you take all the COVID spending out of the baseline of the budget, you got a place to start. and would be reasonable and make sense. And you might actually have a way to negotiate.
2: Well, Morte, great to be with you. And by the way, you get an A in economics today uh, because great minds think alike. And you're exactly on the right track. And I wish you could talk to the Republicans in Congress and get them to amplify this message. So I'll tell you a quick story. I had um, a meeting the other day with my good friend Rand Paul, who is one of my favorite senators, who is the fiscal conscience of the the Congress. And uh, he was saying, hey, Steve, do you know if we – because uh, i think all of your listeners know our national debt is now 31.5 trillion dollars or something like that and we're running deficits of one and a half to two trillion dollars a year under biden and, you know which is you know a path to bankruptcy i hope i think everyone understands that and so uh and and rand and i were talking about how we could get back to a balanced budget martha and so uh, Rand said, hey, Steve, do you know that if we were simply to go back to the 2019 federal budget, which was about $4 trillion, and that's a lot of money? He said, we could um, balance the budget if we just went back to the pre COVID budget. And I said, that's not true. I said, I don't believe it. But I got home that night, I looked up uh, the budget, and it turns out he was right. So think about this. All we would have to do is exactly what you and Rand Paul are saying. Just go back to what we were spending before COVID hit, and we could have a balanced budget. Isn't that amazing? It is. And
0: why won't anybody listen? (laughs)
2: <laughs> because they don't want to. Nobody in Washington wants to cut. Even the Republicans don't want to cut the spending. And so uh, it's not that difficult. And I'm here to tell you this is not a fire drill, folks. This debt is going to collapse the American economy. I don't know if it's going to happen in three weeks or three months or three years, but it is coming. And, you know, we can see this train speeding down the track right over the cliffs. And the question is whether we're going to get smart and do something about that before there is complete economic carnage. And I I don't know. I think Republicans cannot blink on this debt ceiling. They're sitting there like a six-year-old folding his arms saying, I'm not going to compromise. Uh, and then he's out there incredibly irresponsible saying, oh, we're going to not be able to pay. You know, we're going to default on our debt, which is outrageous. That's never going to happen. And so um, but it is as simple as you just said. It really is. Would it be a catastrophe if we went back to the 2019 levels of spending and only spent four and a half trillion dollars rather than six trillion?
0: So then do you also have the conversation? How? I guess the better question is, how do we have the conversation about (laughs) Medicare and Social Security without people accusing us of throwing grandma over the cliff?
2: Uh, You don't have to cut Social Security. You don't have to cut Medicare. You don't have to cut any of those programs. Come on, Martha. You know this. You and I have talked about this week after week after week. There's been $500 billion of fraud in Medicaid, in unemployment insurance, in the PPP program, in uh, Medicare. All these programs are so fraud ridden. They have 20% rates of fraud. Why don't we start by getting rid of the fraud? And the waste in our budget, so we can do this. This is a layup. This isn't a hard thing to do. Yep. You know, we just have to set our priorities. Incidentally, I've, I've been chopping at the bit to talk to you, Martha, because I I don't know if you and I have had this conversation, but I am a big fan of the fair tax, and a lot of my friends in Georgia who are in your Me listening too. audience, I've been are I've been supporting
0: fans. it for years. Uh,
2: Yeah, and me too. And as you know, I helped write, I think you may know, 20-some years ago, I got together with the fair tax people and helped uh, you know, write the fair tax plan. Now, is it perfect? No. You know, it's not perfect. It might do things a little bit differently. But, I mean, come on, why are some of even our conservative friends attacking the fair tax? Just so your audience knows, under the fair tax, we'd have a 23% national sales tax, okay? And that would be the only federal tax. Um, as you know, Martha, that's the only federal tax. And what would that replace? There would be no federal personal income tax. There would be no federal corporate tax. There would be no federal capital gains tax. There would be no dividend tax. There would be no payroll tax. so You'd get to keep every penny you own. There would be no debt tax. I mean, can you imagine how our economy would explode in growth? if we were to do something like that. And so I just, I know, I wanted to mention that to you, because I know a lot of your congressmen, uh, you know, from this great state of Georgia are behind that idea. And uh, some of our conservative friends are beating them up for that because, oh gosh, we couldn't do that. I mean, if we did that, I'm here to tell you our economy, we would roar.
0: No, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, I have been, talk i've been beating that drum for as long as i can remember i mean yeah. i remember the first time somebody talked to me about the fair tax and it was like yeah. a light went on that this is what we need to do because it gets the government out of our business and it neutralizes all these mm-hmm. social engineering issues yes. that we have and yeah. just lets people live their lives
2: and you take your tax on what you take out of the economy when you purchase something not when you're when you start a business or when you work or you invest or you save, by the way, there's no tax on savings. Did you know that under yes. the plan? No yes. tax on savings, no tax on investment. I mean, there's an old saying: You tax something, you get less of it. So what we do with our income tax is tax virtue. We tax the harder you work, the more we tax you, the more you save, the more we tax you, the more you invest, we, the more you ta- we tax you, the more you start a business, the more we tax you. That's stupid. So I just want to say, you know, I'm, I'm saluting the people behind the fair tax. I don't think it's going to pass Congress, but I'm in favor of bringing this up to a vote. And let's have these guys or day on this and, and get them on the record.
0: Absolutely. And we appreciate you always being uh, truthful about this stuff, talking about the economic reality, because we're going to have to face it. And we're not going to give up, Steve. Thanks for being with me today.
1: Putting the talk in News Talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9
0: WDUN. We're going to talk about something a lot more uplifting right now. Uh, Pam Parrish is with Connections Homes, uh, a Lawrenceville-based foster care uh, facility. And there is a new Georgia foster care tax credit that we're going to talk about. Pam, welcome to the program. How are you?
3: Hi, Martha. Thanks for having me on the program. I'm great. How are you today? Good. So
0: tell us first about Connections Homes and then tell us, give us a nice overview about the Georgia Foster Care Tax Credit.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So Connections Homes is an organization that started in 2014 and we work with youth that are aging out of foster care. So between the ages of 18 and 24. A lot of people don't really realize that once you exit the foster care system, if you've never been adopted or reunified with your biological family, that literally your parents, which is the state of Georgia, is done. You're not going home for Thanksgiving. You don't have anywhere to do your laundry. No one to help you figure out how to apply for college. So a lot of these kids end up going into these horrific statistics of pregnancy, incarceration, homelessness. Um without someone significant to step into their life. So what Connections Homes does is we recruit and train mentoring families who come alongside these youth. We are basically kind of the match.com for youth aging out of foster care because youth choose to participate in our program, and they have the opportunity to choose their mentoring family. Since we've started, we've uh, matched and supported over 300 youth. Who in in Georgia who have um, walked alongside of a mentoring family? So that's basically what we do. And the the thing that the state recognized with this these youth is that, you know, although there's no real kind of state funding for youth after they've aged out, um, that there is a way that the community of Georgia businesses and individual taxpayers can come alongside organizations like Connections Homes to help us um, support these youths. There's obviously other things that my parents did for me at 18, you know, assistance with transportation, those little things that you need in a dorm room, um, help with books, things like that. So the Fostering Success Act is a tax credit or Georgians, both individual taxpayers and companies and corporations, which allows you a dollar-for-dollar dollar tax credit on your state taxes for donations to organizations that are working with this population of youth, uh, spe- specifically around transportation, housing, education, and mental and physical health costs.
0: So, is Connections Homes, is it a place for these folks that fall within
3: this age group to live? We don't. Usually our youth are housed. If they come to us and they're not housed, we work with housing partners. So it might be an independent living program. It might be a shelter program. It could be some residential housing to get them housed on their own. And then we match them to a mentoring family. Now, sometimes our families will end up letting those youth live with them. But we don't start with housing because our goal is to have someone in relationship with them. Right. And housing. Someone in your house can sometimes interfere with relationship,
0: well, and I think too, there's there's such a challenge. I mean, this I think all really came to light for me quite frankly, was when the parkland shooting happened in Florida, yeah because the the person that perpetrated this crime was a person that had been in the foster care system in Florida mm-hmm. and um had typical story he'd been in a number of homes, finally found a home that he felt connected to. And sadly, the foster mother, um, I think she had cancer and died, but she died. And, Mm -hmm. and so he reached out to whatever the, organization is in florida in january and said i'm having a really bad time I'm having a hard time basically well we don't have anything for you uh you've aged out of the system and then the next month he committed this horrific crime now i don't know that we could have prevented that but it's certainly i wasn't aware that it was this cliff they dropped off at 18 years old and yep. um and that's something we need to work really hard at mainly because first of all we have huge amount of jobs that are available. If we can mentor these kids in a way that they get into a program where they can get into a job in a relatively short period of time, when you think about it, everybody doesn't have to go to college, they could become, you know, productive members of society in a relatively short period and break that cycle and change the direction of their lives. It's
3: very exciting. Yeah, and that's actually another thing that I really love about this tax credit is that it enables people who haven't thought about this issue to all of a sudden realize that, number one, it exists, and number two, they can help. So I'm looking for a lot of these corporations who may take advantage of this tax credit to also look at internships for these youth. Because to your point about college, a lot of our youth, because uh, they've had such a broken past with school, they're not going to succeed in a traditional college. But if you can put them hands-on into some type of a skilled trade job, they can excel there. And I think it's just one of these things where we can come together as a community around these young people. Businesses need workers and these kids need work um, and really provide some good benefits. So how can people help? So people can help. You can, uh, as a taxpayer, um, single um, single individuals or head of household, um, you can deduct up to twenty five hundred of your tax liability. Um, you can go to your tax center that on the Georgia Department of Revenue, and if you log in there and click on your credits, you can choose the foster care tax credit, and um, that is a dollar for dollar tax credit that you can claim on your twenty twenty three state taxes Um, they have 30 days to approve it Um, after you get the approval from the state 60 days to make your tax deductible donation to there's 20 organizations um, like connections homes that are approved by the state right now and you can make a donation to any of those and um, so then your dollars go directly to supporting these youth and you get a tax benefit when you file your 2023 taxes and how what kind of response are you getting do you know yet we don't know yet. It's still early. So I personally submitted a tax credit, um, and I I haven't gotten my approval from the state yet.
0: So it's probably taking a little bit of time.
3: Yeah, it, um, it takes them 30 days. It takes them 30 days.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> their, so what are the taking things... they every bit of their 30 days. I'm telling you what. Um, I, t- <laughs> let me know a little bit about... What, you're, what you see is the biggest needs that people have. I know it's matching with the family. It's all of that kind of stuff. But what do you see? Because you're in this business day to day, and I think we all have a connection to it, either through people we know that are, that are foster parents or maybe we give the Clarks Christmas kids or we do other things. But the average person isn't as involved in this system. What are your biggest needs?
3: Yeah, so I think some of the biggest needs is why this tax credit exists. Um, a lot of our kids, even when we match them to a mentoring family, which is that's their number one relational need, but they still need help with uh, with transportation to and from. If they get a job, to and from work. If they have the ability to get a car, a lot of our kids are one flat tire away from losing their job because they don't have the emergency funds to fix those problems. Or they might be able to get and afford an apartment, but they can't afford the first month's rent and the security deposits. So um, this tax credit really does allow us as an organization to step into those gaps. Um, that our families aren't always equipped to provide. They don't always have the money laying around to help with the first and last month's rent. But with these tax credit dollars, we can do that on behalf of these youth and help to get them into some stable housing, some reliable transportation, help them to succeed in school because they don't have to worry about the burden of survival of all of those expenses because there is... Uh, there are organizations across Georgia that can help to kind of uh, cover those gaps.
0: Well, I know there was a very impassioned uh, testimony last week from Candace Bros, who heads up uh, the department that handles uh, fostering. But also, there's so much work to be done on, in all of mm-hmm. these areas. It's great to shine a light on this. Pam Parish, Connection Homes in Lawrenceville, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you,
1: Martha. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and
4: FM 102.9 WDUN. I'm really pleased and thankful all these guys showed up to begin the hard business of trying to deal with... Uh, what uh, what's at hand here. We know we have two looming concerns. One is the uh, um, the debt limit. They're not technically connected, but the fact of the matter is practically and politically connected. Uh, we got to make sure that we also uh, a much larger looming issue. is a long-term debt. And uh, we, we've got to make some real progress on that. We're all in agreement that we have to deal with both these issues, and we have to make some progress. This is an opening meeting where Today, I had a chance to talk a little bit with each of my colleagues. Uh, We're going to lay down not a hard negotiating position, but let's make sure each of us understand where the other guy's coming from. Uh, Why we think the plan we put forward, each of us have put forward, makes the most sense.
0: It is the Martha Zoller Show, and uh, that, again, is Joe Biden uh, working with Republicans, sitting at a table with Republicans. Why can't he do that as president?
1: You know, as a guy who deals in audio, a lot of times I worry when we're playing older clips about whether or not the audience is going to be able to recognize that it's an older clip. But one thing I realized is a great way to date something is these big press conferences from years ago because the cameras people used to take these pictures with had those loud snaps on them that used to go off like crazy, and now that doesn't happen anymore.
0: Doesn't happen anymore. And this was, again, about 2011, okay, when he was still in the Senate, or actually 2011 he would have been vice president uh, so he was, I guess, chairing some kind of committee to work with both sides on this. Um, you know, he knows how to do it. People want that Joe Biden. That's where the hundred and fifty thousand people that flipped from Trump to Biden. That's what they wanted. That's why they did it. You know, I Rod Huey's in this in with me on Thursdays, and I'll ask him about this tomorrow. But he's always saying. That this is not the Joe Biden he thought he was, and, and he doesn't tell me who he votes for, but but it's not the Joe Biden he thought he was going to get. So uh, I think most of us feel that way. If you had that Joe Biden, now, in fairness to him, he has had a number of bipartisan initiatives that have passed. They haven't been very bipartisan, but they've been bipartisan. Unlike President Obama, who passed his signature legislation without a single Republican vote, Joe Biden has been able to get a bipartisan vote. And I know some of you hardliners on both sides will say, what good is bipartisanship? Because that means somebody gives in. But it does give you a better feeling that or a better indication that if you get 54 or 56 or 58 or even 60 votes on something or 60 percent of the vote in the House, that it is representative of what the people think. We have a representative democracy, i.e. a republic. We are not a democracy. A democracy is mob rule. A democracy is the majority rules. A democracy would not have protections for um, for anything that is in the minority. We are a representative democracy or a republic. It's funny, I was um, listening to David Starkey yesterday, who is no relation to Ringo, who's, his, whose real name is Richard Starkey, but he is a... Um, historian, very famous historian in the UK. he was talking about Western history and that how there this attitude over the last 50 years to reject Western history is somehow bad when really when you think about it, even if you talk about British Empire, what did British Empire give us? British Empire gave us the United States of America, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, uh, you know India, some of the biggest representative democracies in the world, we got from British Empire. Okay? But he also said something that really made me think. And I don't know whether I agree or disagree with him. It's too soon. But he said, The worst words ever used in a democracy is we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And he pointed out that they didn't use that language in the Constitution. They used it only in the Declaration of Independence. And he made a case for the fact that Thomas Jefferson was the epitome of woke. That these wokies that are trying to get rid of Thomas Jefferson should actually be embracing him. Because we all know that all men are not equal. They may all be created equal. But from the moment you're born... You have different things that impact you, whether you have good parents or bad parents, where you live, whether you have money, whether you have education, you know, the whole thing. And he was using it in relationship to a lot of very wealthy people that have good educations but don't know anything about life. So while my first reaction was to recoil against him saying, such negative words about the Declaration of Independence because I think the Declaration of Independence combined with the Constitution are the two greatest documents and that the average length of a Constitution is 10 years and the United States Constitution has lasted longer than any Constitution in the history of mankind and so it's an amazing document in addition to the fact that that it is preambled, if you will. I know there is a preamble of the Constitution that we all memorize, but I'm talking about the document itself, the Constitution, is preambled by the Declaration of Independence. And, you know, that was that movie back in the 90s called The Patriot. It might have been 2000. And Heath Ledger was in it and uh, Mel Gibson. And it was really one of the most beautiful movies written about the complexity of these men that we called patriots that were fighting for our independence. And there was this discussion, um, and the character was sort of um, modeled after the Swamp Fox, but he he wasn't the Swamp Fox, but he was sort of modeled after him. And the, the oldest son, who was played by Heath Ledger, they're in the woods, in the swamps, trying to, you know, push the Brits out of Georgia and South Carolina, in North Carolina, in that area. And there's a black man that's fighting with them that had been a slave on their plantation. But as happened with many of the slaves, is they fought with their owners, um, which is a really hard word to say when you're talking about human beings, but that's the way it was. And Heath Ledger's character says, this was supposed to be the new world, but it's pretty much like the old one. And The reason for that is human nature. The reason for that is that human beings do make the same mistakes over and over and over again. That's just the nature of it. We aren't born knowing. I've, I've heard this theory of collective knowledge that somehow every generation has some sort of historical knowledge that's locked somewhere in their brain. But I don't believe that theory. I think everybody starts from zero And you have to teach them, teach them up in the way that they shall go, as the Bible says, which I am a terrible quoter of the Bible. So if you if you have that that phrase in a different way, I will not be offended. But it goes back to this response that I got to this little thing that I wrote. It all goes back to putting faith at the center of your life. If you don't fill the hole in your soul with God, it will be filled with something else. And it goes back to if you don't fill your thoughts and prayers and dreams with good things, with positive things, with things that are going to make you a better person, then you're going to have a lot of doubt. And, and you know, we we have a problem with depression in the world. We have a problem with people being down. It is like the 1970s all over again, where there's protests in the street and there's strikes and there's violence and there's. Uh, weak presidents and weak prime ministers and people that aren't leading the country well. And what happened in 1980, around 1980, was that we got Pope John Paul, who was a very positive, forward-looking figure, even though in his later life, because of his illness, a lot of really bad things happened in the Catholic Church. We had Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, and we had Ronald Reagan. Now, all of those figures were conservative figures, and I had someone explain it to me this way, where you want conservative people that are open-minded, and those things are not mutually exclusive, to teach your children and to explain things, because you have to have a good foundation of things that isn't all over the place. And then you can add on to it all the nuances that you have, and what you think, feel, and thing, feel and say about things. So we're in a place. I believe we're kind of in a fifty-year cycle. And if you go back, you had you had this cycle in the '70s. You had this cycle in the '20s. You had this cycle in the 1870s after the Civil War. These cycles happen about every fifty years, where it's almost like a reset. And there are all the naysayers out there that say the world's coming to an end and we'll never get out of it and blah, 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 blah. I just don't. There may be a day where we never get out of it. But I'm a Christian, so I believe that that day is going to be the ultimate day we get out of it because it's going to be the day that Jesus comes back and we all go up. Okay. my biggest fear in the world is that Jesus already come and I'm still here. That's what my biggest fear is in the world. Okay, but. I think that as far as the way of the world, we need leadership. We need people that are going to tell the truth regardless of what it costs them. Gerald Ford was one of those people. To some people, they believe Liz Cheney was one of those people. But it's people who are willing to do what they believe is right and communicate it even though it cost them power. Gerald Ford was actually the best example in our lifetime because he pardoned Richard Nixon, even though that sealed the deal that he wasn't ever going to get elected president. And he did it because it was the right thing, because seeing a president be tried and convicted for something, which Nixon deserved it, doesn't help the country in the long run. So we've got to look at these things. We've got to understand these things. And we've got to understand historical perspective. And we've got to listen to things like I listened to yesterday where it made me uncomfortable that I heard a historian that I respected say that the Declaration of Independence, by starting off with this phrase, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that that somehow started us on this path to wokeism. And that Thomas Jefferson was the original woke guy. And he made a pretty good argument for it. I'm not saying I believe it. But if you don't listen to things that make you a little bit uncomfortable in what you think, feel, and say, you're never going to learn. And once you stop learning, you die. You may not physically die, but you die as far as your ability to be able to learn anything new. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.